You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 210 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Hey everyone, doing good? I'm doing great. I'm trying to rid myself of excess garbage that I have amassed over the years. I got boxes of useless crap in my garage that I'm going through and mostly throwing away or recycling. It's like that old saying that goes something like this. Uh, do you own stuff or does the stuff own you? And you know, I don't want my stuff to own me. So guess what? You're out of here. Before we get the show on the road, I just want to mention you can support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. Or just click the link in the program notes. I would be grateful if you became a patron. Not sure I would be eternally grateful since I probably won't care about this podcast in the afterlife, but at least grateful for the time I have on this planet. So, what should I do an episode about? Hmm. I think I want to talk more indigenous culture, more than I have previously. I've talked greatly about the Shipibo and the Bewiti since I have first-hand experience, but... On this podcast, we have not heard much from or about the very interesting indigenous people from the occupied nation known as Australia. I want to play a short bit where we will first hear from Aboriginal elder Bob Randall talking about the word Kanini. This will be followed by another Aboriginal man by the name of Stephen Goldsmith speaking some real wisdom in my humble opinion. And that bit is taken from the film Human, the movie. Let's listen. The word kanini comes from our language here. Caring, a level of giving and caring, or living a life of caring for all things. I suppose the easiest way is with unconditional love. There is no limit to the caring we should have for all living and all life and each other. There should never be any limit. And the example is firstly the the two greatest female energy, which is Mother Earth and Mother Sun. In our culture we believe they're, they're sisters and the moon then is there to look after or be ready to serve either one should they require the services to be. It's just there standing by uh, to be called on to do this, to do that, and he does it willingly. And it's like the trees are here. You know, they bear the fruits for us to take from should we so desire to use it. All the creatures are in that same position. All the the little sand goannas, all the fruit trees, all the grass plants where our mothers collect the seeds to grind uh, for us kids to eat the bread they used to make for me. This is the land where my childhood was really secure and safe because I got to know and understand the relationship we, we call Kanini, where every the purpose of us being on this earth plane is to be of service to all that will be. And uh, 
That's the role. The mothers and fathers, aunties and uncles, grandmothers and grandfathers uh, pass on to every child that's growing up with, as an Anangui child. You must learn to care and be willing to care for all things equally. The stories is all about that, the songs are all about that, the dances are all about that, and the paintings are all about that. All controlled so that each nation only is responsible for the bit they are responsible for. And it shows with the stories, it shows that with the songs, with the dances, and with the paintings. And when you can imagine, I grew up in the time when the old men used to have huge designs on the ground to present open stories through the dances. You know, and then the mothers would do theirs as well, the women to the public ceremony. And they both would have their own private ceremonies too, away from the public, which secured the protection of the sacredness, because there are some things that is not open to be known about by all, but only special people who know the right words, right songs, right music to use in those situations. The word kanini, you know, in English is living a life of unconditional love for all living, all life and each other, and being responsible for that love from self. You know, that's really what that one word kanini means. You held as equal, the snake got the same laws, the birds got the same laws, these trees got the same laws. They live kanini. The purpose of us being on this earth plane is to be of service to all that will be. Some of the most generous people I know have no money. And that's how it should be. When we have no money, it's a different lifestyle. When you see the old people, uh, there was no, in our language, we have no such word as please or thank you, because it is what is expected of us is that we share and we give what we have. Today, we have to say please, we have to say thank you, we have to beg for things. In the old days, it was just a giving thing that we would share things. That was a part of who we are. And not only for Aboriginal people, I expect people all around the world would do the same things before money. But nowadays, it's mine. There are words like mine. There was no such word as mine in my culture. It is ours, it is a collective, it belongs to all of us. But today we have I, me, mine, and we don't share, we don't give, we don't give free of our spirit, we don't share our things anymore. And it's become, it kills, kills us as human beings, as a society, of, as, a, as, a, as a race. When I say race, I'm talking about the human race. But we deny other people shelter, we deny other people food, we deny other people their survival purely because of money. When I do visit uh, communities that are remote, that are still live a very much a, a semi-traditional lifestyle, uh, I can see the difference where there is a, uh, we don't have to pay. Uh, my son says, isn't it funny that when, when non-Aboriginal people have money, 
they ate crayfish, they ate abalone, and they ate quandongs. When our people have money, we eat Kentucky Fried uh, takeaway food, and when we haven't got money, then we eat crayfish, abalone, and quandong because that is our natural food and it's easy to get. Sometimes we take those things for granted. What other people see as a delicacy is our traditional food. Uh, for me, what would make a difference is uh, I, I talked about my journey on, on public transport and it seems that the seat next to me is always the last seat to be taken. And sometimes people will be standing in the aisles, but they will not take that seat. They are too scared to, to sit next to me. Please don't be afraid to sit next to me. Don't be afraid to say hello. Don't be afraid to smile. Don't be afraid to be sociable. Don't be afraid to get to know me. I do not bite. I would love to sit down and know who you are and hopefully let you know who I am to share our stories and to understand each other fully. When speaking with respect and reverence about indigenous cultures, I'm aware that some people, usually morons, may throw the term noble savage around. However, based on my own experience with indigenous communities in Central Africa, Peru, Ecuador, Panama, north of Sweden and the United States, the concept of the noble savage is kind of correct. For the clueless, let me explain what noble savage means. A noble savage is literally a stock character who embodies the concept of the indigenous outsider, wild human, an other who has not been corrupted by civilization and therefore symbolizes humanity's innate goodness. Basically, it implies a fictional version of something that does not exist, that only white privileged new age hippies put these indigenous people on a pedestal. They are not noble. People might say that some indigenous cultures perform genital mutilation and others rape people and murder and they have wars amongst themselves. And sure, indigenous people are not saints, but neither are we. We are certainly not saints. And I'm talking about we as Westerners. If you're not a Westerner listening, then I'm not including you in the we. Anyway, The more time I spend with indigenous people, I am convinced that they are the true magicians and alchemists. When I was in Ecuador last year, I sat with some indigenous women every morning as they prepared food for me, and it brought me back. Because it had been a few years since I spent some quality time in an indigenous community, I forgot how wonderful life is in these communities. If only the fucking governments and corporations would just leave them alone. There is always a certain vibe around these people. Something that is hard to put into words. There is a calm, soothing vibe. Relaxed. No problem to sit in a group in silence. Or simply laugh. They laugh a lot. They are also so beautiful. The men, the women, the elders and the children. Adorable. They're always friendly and greet with open arms, always with a smile. And they know about the plants and about nature. They speak to it 
and it speaks back. Only direct experience can do it justice, but if anyone's listening to this ever gets gets the chance to spend time in an indigenous community, take that chance, take the opportunity to do so. And sure, there are always assholes out there, but compared to the fucking horde of assholes I experience amongst civilized societies, I find that among indigenous communities, the term noble savage is correct. Although they are far from savages. I'm just using the term. They're not savages. The white big corporate banker, he's the fucking savage. I reference more the term. This way of life feels natural. In the indigenous life, it just feels natural to live like that. And it inspires me greatly. When people say like, oh, you just think they're noble savages. Well, my experience say they, they are more noble than you. And how dare you call them savages? <laughs> I want to play a short bit by Sebastian Junger, the author of the book Tribe. In this little snippet, he talks about the fact that way back in the day in the United States, when European settlers had been kidnapped by indigenous tribes and were living with them, when they eventually got rescued, many of them wanted to go back. Yeah, or they would go into hiding so they wouldn't have to be repatriated to colonial society. They wanted to stay with their adopted tribes. And there, and there was also a lot of, um, a lot of young white people, particularly white men, but young women too, who basically absconded across the frontier into tribal society. They, they fled white society. They didn't like it. And, and as Benjamin Franklin pointed out, we have lots of young colonials fleeing to the Indians, and we have not one example of an Indian, as they were called, fleeing to white society. Whatever they were, success, success, very successful society. In fact, they were they had better nutrition than the whites did, um, uh, a more varied diet, um, and a much, much more egalitarian society uh, than colonial society. Yeah, I mean, Indian society, Native society, wasn't crushed by Christian morality. So you could divorce, you could marry as a woman, you could marry whom you wanted, you could get divorced, you could do whatever you wanted. It was very, very egalitarian. What they've shown is that. Um, the, in societies where everyone is necessary for food, prote- food production, uh, everyone's more or less equal. And in ag- agrarian societies, agricultural societies, industrial societies, you have large segments of the population, often women, who are not involved in food production. They're involved in reproduction, and so their um, equality goes down. And as Benjamin Franklin pointed out, we have lots of young colonials fleeing to the Indians, and we have not one example of an Indian, as they were called, fleeing to white society. That bit was from the Joe Rogan experience. 
And I find it interesting. And I'm not surprised. I don't have to excuse myself. I'm not trying to make indigenous culture out to be the best there ever is or was. Although it probably is and was. I'm not trying to appropriate their culture. It inspires me. I wish we all could live even a little like we all used to do long ago. People often say as as they become older that it was better before. Back in my day, much better. And I agree, it was better a hundred thousand years ago. When we all were nomads roaming this great mystery called nature, surrounded by stars. And we can live like that again. You see, we are all indigenous. But us Westerners are indigenous descendants that took the poisoned road. On your deathbed, what is it that you really think is important? Always keep that in mind. I don't have an agenda here. I'm only saying that we can learn a lot from indigenous people, indigenous culture and indigenous communities. That is all I'm saying and we should listen. We should listen. Indigenous communities have a sense of (laughs) a community. Something we might have in the West. We might have our urban communities. But it's, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same. Not to me at least. We have to find some common ground. I think we have a lot to learn. More we as Westerners from the indigenous than the indigenous can learn from us. If you like to listen to history lessons, I think you all should check out Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. In one episode about the East Front battles of the Second World War, Dan tells a story of how the soldiers on the Russian and the German side found some common ground in music when they were not busy killing each other. I'm playing this to show that as humans we have more things in common than not. The tales of atrocities that were part of this scorched earth policy that we're talking about here is something that reminds you of the stuff of legend, you know, tales of Genghis Khan or Attila the Hun rampaging through civilized areas. Stories of civilians crowded into buildings which are then set on fire. Women and children literally lined up against the wall and machine gunned. Terrible things. A war of true hatred on all sides with no mercy shown to anyone. And yet, Even amidst all this hatred and this lack of mercy and caring and the dehumanization of both sides, the human element still comes into play from time to time. Writer Boris Gorbachevsky tells a wonderful story about a man in his unit with a haunting, moving, wonderful singing voice. He would keep the unit entertained. And Gorbachevsky says, sing loudly and brilliantly in the trenches. The Russians took special care of this man, saw to it that his throat was kept warm, and that he always had a cup of hot tea for him to drink, keep his voice fresh. They would all write home and tell their family how lucky they felt to have such a talent, you know, with them in the unit. One night, that singer was ill and he couldn't perform. And the Russians received a worried message on the radio from the Germans facing them across no man's land. They said, quote, what have you done with your singer? End quote. Even the Germans would stop shooting when this guy performed. One night, the Germans even crept into the no-man's land between the two trenches, Gorbachevsky says, braving the danger of being killed simply to throw a new harmonica into the trenches of the Russians so that the singer would have music to accompany him. 
you know, amid the horror, still a little basic humanity could occasionally rise to the surface. And that sort of thing makes you wonder whether those people, those Germans on the one side of the battle line that wanted to hear the Russian singer as much as the Russian singers on the other side of the battle line wanted to hear him, would they even be fighting if it weren't for these governments of theirs? You know, especially the German government that launched the war. German soldier Gunter Koscherak wrote after the war, quote, when will people realize that it is possible for any of us to be manipulated by domineering and power-crazed individuals who know how to motivate the masses in order to misuse them for their own ends? While they keep well out of the way, in safety, they have no hesitation in brutally sacrificing their people in the name of patriotism. Will mankind ever stand together against them? Or are those who died in the fighting dead forever? And will the reasons they gave their lives be forgotten?" End quote. Yes. It's our elected leaders that have pushed the agenda. And we are all guilty for choosing the path we're on. From leaving the steppe, from leaving the jungle, from rejecting the nomadic life for the current modern urban existence we call civilization. But it's far from civilized, in my opinion. In another series by Dan Carlin, he talked about the Mongols and how they had no problem killing millions of people when they took over half the world a few hundred years ago. To the nomadic Mongols, so-called settled societies were less than human and therefore killing them was not a moral problem. This might sound super evil to most of you. However, I kind of understand their line of thinking. Although I, I do not agree, I can still understand. Settled societies is the problem. <laughs> so killing them might not be a moral problem if you entertain the idea. <laughs> if I was an intergalactic pest control person and I came to Earth to clean it up, I would see settled societies as the biggest issue. If we detach ourselves and try to look at it objectively, society and urbanity and settlements, those things are the big problem. There is no soul in that, no, no spirit. Not when compared to indigenous communities that are not polluted by our way of life. I like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. And I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure. That was from The Matrix, 
if you did not know that. Best part of the film, in my opinion, but uh, perhaps human beings is not a virus. Perhaps non-nomadic, non-indigenous people are the virus. And guess what? Ayahuasca is the motherfucking cure. I think you get my feelings on these issues. Best advice if you have not spent any time in an indigenous community to do so. Do it. It might inspire you more than you think. Get off the fucking grid once in a while. In terms of spirituality, there is no competition in my opinion. Indigenous people have it fucking locked down. And I'm aware I generalize since there are thousands of different indigenous people across the globe. Even so... The similarities are more than what separates them. Okay, so now, with uh, all that in mind, let's uh, check out the creation myth of the Kogi people in Colombia. In the beginning, there was the nothing. Beginning, there was nothing. All was darkness. All was Say. darkness. Say. There was nothing at all. There was nothing Only at all. the mother. She was a Luna. She was pure thought without form. She began to think. She began to think. The mother conceived the world in the darkness. The mother conceived the world in the darkness. She conceived us as ideas. As we think out a house before we begin to make it real. As we think out a house before we begin to make it real. She spun the thread. She spun the thread, spinning us all in the story, creating us in thought. Creating us in thought. And then came the light. And then came the light, and the world was real. Yeah, that was the creation myth of the Kogi people, lifted from the excellent documentary Aluna. Check it out. I think that creation myth is spot on. In the beginning there was nothing. All was darkness. There was nothing at all. Only the mother. She was a Luna. She was pure thought without form. She began to think. The mother conceived the world in the darkness. She conceived us as ideas. As we think out a house before we begin to make it real. She spun the thread. Spinning us all in the story. Creating us in thought. And then came the light. And the world was real. But it is real if it is only a thought in the mind of God. Or a Luna, as the Kogi call it. There is a book called The People of Ukayali by Ikin Lorialt and Bonstra. A book that describes the culture of the Shipibo Konibo people. In the book there is an excellent point that really shows the difference between tribal culture and urban culture. And it reads... 
Many of a person's possessions are destroyed at his death. House was burned, bow and arrows, canoe and clothing are burned or thrown into the river. When a woman dies, pottery made by her is broken, her clothes, pieces of cloth she wove and even her weaving equipment are thrown out or burned. This sync with the Gnostic text, the Gospel of Philip, which states, Those who are heirs to the dead are themselves dead, and they inherit the dead. I think it's a beautiful concept to not only burn the body, but also everything that person ever made or owned. As if the dead is forever gone, wiped out, instead of this hoarding of tombstones and memorabilia and crap. The cycle of life in all its glory. You know, let it let it go. When you die, let it go. You know. Tombstones and memorabilia and photographs and all this stuff. It's all crap. It may it might be difficult for for us brainwashed Westerners to, you know, fully embrace, but you know, like tombstones memorabilia, photographs, home videos of your children, you know, it's all crap. It's all crap. Why don't you just, or when I say you, (laughs) I mean me, okay? Why don't I just stay in the moment, experience life as, as it is happening, instead of trying to record everything, you know? Real indigenous communities, you know, they, they don't do that stuff. You know, those that are still pure and not infected by our way of life. We should we should protect the cycle of life in all its glory. What is interesting is that in recent times the only thing the Shipibo don't burn is if they have a chainsaw or some other piece of modern equipment because it's so very expensive for them to get those things so it gets passed down. Basically, to me, this is a perfect symbol of the main problem we have with Western culture. This fucking hoarding of wealth. As soon as cultures who live in a relatively pure way touch or poison, it infects them. I think that's a shame. Normally, everything the Shipibo own, the tools, the instruments, the pottery, the clothes, it's stuff they made themselves. It's a perfect ecosystem. But we, in the way, we can make anything. I can make an Instagram post. <laughs> can make anything. I can sew my own clothes. I understand that technological advancement is good. And I support such things. But it is a double-edged sword. Inheritance is inherently evil. When everything you own is what you have made, each new person has to start from scratch and make his her life on their own but we lazy cunts in the west we just collect as much garbage as possible and pass it on to our kids and the more the kids get the less they understand of making it on their own not making it career-wise it's just making the making your clothes making your food you know everything that is why in the rich countries we now have generations of people who are weak Passive, lazy, oversensitive morons. I'm sorry if I sound uh, angry or if I'm like, um, feel like I'm attacking anybody. But 
I mean, I'm just speaking the truth, man. Uh, my truth, that is. I'm not trying to preach. I'm just saying this is... I mean, look around you. You, you tell me I'm not saying the, the truth right now. It's my life. It's my responsibility. So I'm going to take my life and take care of it. I'm not going to go... You know, <laughs> that's what it's like now. Everybody is, ah, oh, this, this, the states, the state has to provide this, the government. It's the government. It's the my my boss, my boss at work. He didn't blah blah blah. My teacher, my parent, my blah blah. No, no, no. It's you. It's you. Just fucking grow some balls. Just take care of your own life. Stop whining about that other people should. And this is something I think is good in indigenous communities. Everybody, I mean, the indigenous communities that are living in the, in the traditional way, they're self-sustained. But in that self-sustained community, each individual is also self-sustained. You know, they can do all those things on their own. Uh, I think that is a good place to end my spiel on indigenous culture by calling the rest of the world morons, I guess. I guess that's a good place to end. (laughs) Um, All I'm saying is that I find indigenous cultures very interesting and a great source of wisdom. And I'm just trying to share that. Even if I was all over the place, as I normally am, or even if I sounded angry or a pointing finger or something like that, but... You know, what you just heard is what it was. That's all there is to say. And I hope it was at least entertaining. And if it wasn't, you know, make your own podcast. Make it the way you want it to sound like. Because that's what I'm doing. Which is the point of everything I just said, I guess, in a way. (laughs) I think you already know that this podcast is the cat's pajamas. That when listening to this podcast you feel totally lit. That you cannot deny that it is legit. The bee's knees, gravy noodles, packed, peachy. Sometimes even a complete clam slam. Now if you feel it as I do, why don't you become a patron? And support the podcast. Go to patreon.com forward slash natural born alchemist. Stay woke. Support. Let's finish with a song from Yun Husami's album Yakun Shama. Go to yunhusami.bandcamp.com to hear more. In this album we get to experience traditional medicine songs, Ikaros, set to modern beats. If you haven't heard my episode with the artist Yuin Hosami, you can listen to my talk with him all the way back in episode 3. The song I'll play is called Ikaro Para Connection and is sung by Elias. And Elias is a very special maestro for me on a personal level. Uh, I've had some very good experiences with him, both in ceremony and outside of ceremony. I remember one time, because he was always walking around whistling this Icaro, you know, he was always whistling. 
and I asked him like, why why are you always whistling that song? You know, because I was thinking like, isn't doesn't doesn't whistling the same melody gets boring after a while? Even though I liked the melody, <laughs> but you know maybe he's been whistling it for years and years. But I asked him like, why are you always whistling that melody? And all he did was he uh, raised both his hands and he stretched them up towards the sky and he just went now that, that that's what I'm talking about that's indigenous experiences I've had when he did that rather than like record an hour long episode trying to explain something he just like raised his arms and pointed towards the sky and just went and that just explained everything for me regarding spirituality, God, the universe, the mystery, you know. Amazing. Anyway, next week a bit of Terence McKenna. And the actual title of the episode will be Nobody Has a Peace, whatever that means. Guess you gotta wait and find out. Freedom is in the mind. Bueno, esto canto, estoy cantándome, me siento en mi medicina. Después de sentarme, estoy conectando, conectando, abriendo las medicinas. Después de abrir, conectan con sus cuerpos. Thank you.